You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Hope everybody enjoyed the 2021 NFL Draft. The Seahawks making only three selections, the lowest total in franchise history, but they did address three needs, both in the short and long term, getting receiver Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan in the second round, using a fourth rounder on Trey Brown, the corner out of Oklahoma, and then the sixth round trading up to get Stone Forsyth, big tackle out of Florida. Rob Ring and I will be breaking down all three of those selections over the next few episodes as we move further away from the draft. For today's Sunday bonus episode, though, I'm going to be tackling your questions. A lot of questions being sent my way on social media, so decided let's do a bonus episode here. A lot to talk about coming out of the draft in Cleveland. First question here coming from Marcus tweets, how surprised were you that Seattle didn't pick Creed Humphrey or Quinn Miners at pick 56. I'll admit I was a little bit surprised because really the big talking point in the pre-draft was that Ethan Postlet getting a one-year $3 million contract wasn't necessarily giving him the starting job back for 2021. And maybe there's still a chance they could add another veteran to the mix to compete against him. But clearly this was a vote of confidence for Ethan Postlet by not using that pick in the second round on one of those two centers that had fallen right into their lap. So I was a little bit surprised by that. At the same time, though, the number three receiver is a much bigger need than I think a lot of these draft analysts seem to realize. If you watch the Seahawks the last eight games of the regular season, as well as their playoff loss, they needed another receiver that could step up behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Dwayne Eskridge is going to provide that for them, and he's a player that can create after the catch. You can use him on jet sweeps. Shane Waldron, I believe, had a big voice on this selection. He made it clear to Pete Carroll and John Schneider they needed to add another weapon on the outside. Dwayne Eskridge should give them a gadget player that also can contribute on special teams. And so he was a player that I had identified as a potential second-round target that seemed like a Seahawk-type receiver, especially in Waldron's scheme. So I wasn't that surprised that they ended up making that selection. I thought they would go offensive line, especially with the players that were available. But at the same time, they had other needs. So I don't think that this was a reach necessarily. Second question from William Hawkman tweets, what were your thoughts on the overall strategy by Schneider? Did he make the right call not trying to trade down more to get extra picks? You know, you can sit back and wonder, you know, maybe the Seahawks could have got Trey Brown if they traded down a second time in the fourth round and added another pick later. And Schneider told the reporters yesterday, I was on the conference call or on the press conference and he was mentioning that they were discussing that possibility, but ultimately they didn't want to lose Trey Brown. So I think John Schneider looked at this draft with the pre-draft process being so muddied, not having a combine scouting being so different this past year. This was just not a normal draft in any sense of the word. So I think he wanted to exit with three or four really solid players that he had a good feel for. And, I was told that the draft board was around 25, 30 players. So they were not looking at a lot of different players for their picks. Really, that tells me they weren't going into this thinking, let's go on a trade frenzy and try to get to seven or eight selections. This was just not the year to do it. And that's why they made the trades they did for established veterans like Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap and recently Gabe Jackson. 
They opted out to an extent from this draft that was impacted a lot by opt-outs in the COVID-19 pandemic season. And so I wasn't surprised about that. I really liked the picks they had. Rob Rang and I will be diving more into that over the next few days. But I thought the Seahawks did a good job with the limited draft capital they did of addressing needs, which has been something I don't think they've done as good of a job in recent years of doing. They've picked some players that kind of like, I don't know if that really fills a need right now. I think they did a good job of that, though, this weekend. Mike Halsey tweets, is there a chance Brandon Shell keeps his starting gig? I see Stone stepping in right away and beating him out for right tackle. So I'm not going to say it's impossible that Forsyth could come in and give Brandon Shell a run from his a run for his money right away, because I do think Forsyth has starter caliber talent. I had him being a day two, early day three selection. He was one of those players that I thought maybe third round, fourth round caliber player. I saw some people had him with a second round grade. I think he's got that kind of upside, but his tape's a little bit uneven in some regards. But I do think he can be a starter in the NFL, a long-term starter if he fully develops. He's certainly got the size and he's got plus athleticism for the position. That said, I thought Brandon Shell played really well last year until he suffered the ankle injury late in the season. When he played in the playoff game, you could tell he was not close to 100%. He just didn't look near as effective, and he, was, he wasn't healthy. So if he's able to return, he's 100%. I don't see Forsyth stealing that job from him this year. I think that Brandon Shell is going to be the guy. But Forsyth needs to be ready because Shell has had some injury issues in the past. And, of course, Dwayne Brown, he's going to be 36 in August. He's been banged up a little bit in recent seasons. So they needed to make a pick at the tackle position. I've been talking about it for the last couple months. You need that heir apparent for Dwayne Brown. I think Forsyth can be that guy if he develops. Might even be your right tackle in 2022. I just don't think this year we're going to see him as a rookie, at least not the first half of the season. If Shell struggles, maybe we could see him go that route. But I don't see him coming in and stealing that job right away. Darren Woods tweets, what's your pulse on the Richard Sherman possibility at this point? How did you interpret Carroll's remarks? So I think the door is still open. They've clearly had discussions with him. Carroll has talked to Sherman several times this offseason. At least that's what he told us yesterday. But I do think when you look at the moves they've made, they've added a number of corners in free agency. Akella Witherspoon, Pierre Desir coming in, two players that have length and size. And then, of course, the pick for Trey Brown, which is not the prototypical outside corner for the Seahawks, more of a DG, DJ Reed type build. So, you know, I think you look at the number of corners they have right there. I would say right now, probably not going to be leaning towards Sherman signing. And Carroll made it seem like that's not something that they're leaning towards right now. They're not interested in adding a veteran corner at this time. Obviously, that situation's fluid, though. The longer Sherman remains available, then certainly the Seahawks remain in the mix to sign him. I will be surprised at this point, though, based on what Carroll said. I think the door is open. It's possible, but I think it's unlikely. I think he'll end up playing for somebody else in 2021. Frost tweets, I know a lot of analysts are hating on the Eskridge pick, but wide receiver number three was a pretty big need, especially seeing the offense when Tyler Lockett was hurt. What are your takes on the pick? Do you think it was wise to draft a receiver? It sounded like the Rams wanted him. I can tell you the Rams absolutely wanted him and the player himself. I don't think he meant to do it, but he leaked it in our press conference that he had gotten a call from LA. And so the Rams absolutely were interested in him, ended up picking Tutu Atwell out of Louisville, the next pick. So both these teams, these NFC West rivals were trying to get explosive receivers to add to their passing game. And Eskridge looked to be the guy that both of them really wanted at that pick. Again, 
I have been mentioning this for weeks. Number three receiver is probably a top three need for this team. When you look at how the passing game flattened out last year, Lockett and Metcalf needed somebody else to step up around them, and it just didn't happen. Now, maybe Freddie Swain can end up being that guy, but I think this selection tells you all you need to know. They wanted to add another elite playmaker, and Dwayne Eskridge is absolutely that guy. So I had a second-round grade on him. I think that he this is about where I expected. Mid to late second round is where he was going to go. Really strong senior bowl performance. It's a really good fit, especially in Shane Waldron's scheme. And so I'm intrigued to see what it looks like with him on the field out there with Metcalf and Lockett. And the people that are hammering this pick, I don't think they knew what the Seahawks needs really were. Because, again, I think receiver was a bigger need than most of these draft experts are letting on. J&J Vaxer tweets, who do you think will win the starting nickel package position coming out of the preseason? It's early to be making this judgment. I don't even know if there's going to be a starter at that position because Carol was talking about again yesterday, Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair are just, they're different skill sets and they really match up with different types of players. I feel like you can mix and match those two at the slot position. Ugo Amadi being your regular slot, Marquise Blair playing that big slot position. It gives you a lot of flexibility as far as play calling and formations that you can run against different types of teams. Marquise Blair was so impressive in the preseason, uh, not preseason, but their mock games last year in training camp and just was playing fantastic football. So I would give him the edge if you're wanting to discuss starters, but I could see both those players playing snaps on defense, depending on the opponent game situation, things of that nature. I think both those guys are going to have opportunities to still play on defense. It is encouraging that Blair looks like he's really turning the corner in his recovery from a torn ACL. Damian tweets, what's the secret to knowing the Seahawks were going to pick Eskridge and Forsyth? 66% is quite a hit rate. So I will just say this right now, and I'm sure plenty of people on Twitter realize this, but Dwayne Eskridge is a player that when I was doing my Finding Seahawks series on the Seahawk Maven, I listed him as one of the couple options in the second round that I thought made a lot of sense for the Seahawks. I had heard they were high on him, and it made sense to me. Again, the skill set, the explosive downfield ability, the new offense, I thought his ability to run the ball and create after the catch would be really exciting in Shane Waldron's offense. If it's anything like Sean McVay's from Los Angeles, he would be a player that would be a perfect complement to the weapons they already have. And so apparently I was thinking about this too much because I had a dream the night before the second round of the draft that Dwayne Eskridge was the guy. And so I decided to tweet that out that morning because maybe it shows I am working way too much, but it ended up being the selection. I will say that it was an informed guess and really an informed dream, apparently. Now, as for Forsyth, he is another player that I had heard Steve Hutchinson had interest in. Now, a football consultant for the Seahawks, they indicated that yesterday that Hutchinson worked him out, was impressed by him, clearly a player that he wanted, and he was trying to pitch the organization to go out and get when they could. And so he was a player, I thought, even in the fourth round, they might consider him if one of the corners they wanted wasn't there. He was a tackle that I thought was on their draft board. So again, it was an educated guess based on the film study people I had talked to. So I'll say there was maybe a little bit of luck to it. I've certainly put the work in, though, those of you that follow my website as well as our podcast know that I've mentioned Stone Forsyth and Dwayne Eskridge plenty of times as potential draft picks for the Seahawks. And that just ended up being the way that they lean. So next question here, I got to mention the name here. My broken butt tweets 
I asked this particular person what that meant, and it was about Crohn's disease. I have Crohn's disease, so kudos to you. I respect the username. How real is the chance of DJ Reed and Trey, ba- Trey Brown being our two starting corners? I really like what I saw from Reed last year, and what I've seen from Brown, he has the grit to be a cornerback number one or two, I think. I don't think it's out of the question that those two players can end up being your starters at some point. DJ Reed was so impressive last year. I like what I'm seeing on film from Trey Brown. He wasn't a player I necessarily thought the Seahawks would target because this is such a different corner from a size and length perspective than they normally look for on the outside. Nonetheless, uh, I think that he's got an opportunity to be able to compete, especially with them only having one corner under contract beyond 2021 he's going to be coming into an ideal situation to carve out a starting role I do think one of the longer corners I believe Akella Witherspoon is probably the one that I would keep a close eye on because he played really well at the end of the 2020 season for the 49ers the Seahawks have loved him since his time at Colorado he was a target he was on their draft board in 2017 so I think Witherspoon's got a chance to be a player that sneaks up on people that maybe isn't getting enough attention. I could see Witherspoon and Reed, two former 49ers being the starters with Brown pushing them. And of course, Trey Flowers and Pierre Desir are both players with plenty of starting experience. That's going to be a really fun competition in training camp. If you had Richard Sherman to that mix, oh boy, uh, get your popcorn ready. That's going to be an exciting one come July. Last question here for this quarter, Taylor Flowers tweets, Could you try and have a dream about Richard Sherman signing with the Seahawks? Actual question, in your opinion, which undrafted free agent besides Kate Johnson has the best chance of making the roster and maybe getting some playing time this season? So I look at the players they've signed so far, and here's the caveat. We don't know how many of those players have actually officially signed. I feel like every year there's a few players that tweets come out, this player is signed, and then when the Seahawks release their list, they're not on there. So these situations are fluid. Guys end up going to different teams. It's the wild, wild west, and it's going to be even more so this year because of the craziness of the pre-draft process, how unique of an offseason that this has been. But certainly Kay Johnson's a player that I think has a really good chance. I think Tamori and Terry out of Florida State, another receiver, is exciting when he catches the football. That's been the big issue is drops. So there's been some focus-related things, but there's no question about his size and his athleticism. And he had an 1,100-plus-yard season two years ago for Florida State. So he's been productive, just been very inconsistent. If he can play on special teams, he and Kay Johnson are two guys that I really think can push the rest of the receivers on that depth chart. The other players they've signed, there's a few players that interest me, but I think Josh Johnson, the running back out of Louisiana Monroe, would probably be my sleeper here. He had over 1,200 rushing yards two years ago. His last season with the Warhawks, he was battling hamstring injuries. It was a shortened year from COVID as well. So that's why he probably went undrafted. I think if he was going into the draft after 2019 season, he is picked in those seven rounds because this kid is explosive. He's got a big body, can run between the tackles. So he might be that undrafted rookie running back you want to keep a close eye on in offseason workouts as well as training camp. This episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today, rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. 
They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced so that you can give her something special and truly meaningful. When I looked at several of these rings, Michelle Fontaine's ring stood out as the one that I'd buy as a gift. It's a great conversation piece, unique and cool. Make sure to check all these out. If you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Let's get on to the next set of questions here. Randall Singh tweets, who will be second after Chris Carson running the ball? Will it be Rashad Penny or will it be a group effort? Different speeds, things of that nature. What will Waldron do differently with his much superior running backs compared to the Rams? So I'm going to refute that last part. The Rams have Cam Akers. They've got some pretty darn good running backs there to work with. The Seahawks obviously have a deep running back stable as well. But I do think Rashad Penny is still the number two guy. I've been saying it all offseason. If there's a system where he can really break out, I think that we're going to see the Seahawks running more under center single back sets. That favors Rashad Penny. That's the type of stuff he was running at San Diego State when he was tearing it up for the Aztecs at the college level. So I could see this scheme, especially with the wide zone runs, being a better fit for him than we saw with Brian Schottenheimer's offense. The time is now. He's got to show what he can do, or he's not going to be in Seattle next year. And that really leads into the next question here from Lilliban, tweeting, any chance we pick up Rashad Penny's fifth-year option at this point, absolutely not. Before Chris Carson was re-signed, I thought there might be a slim chance they would do it only because the price tag for that fifth-year option for a starting running back would be around 15th or 16th in the NFL. It would be affordable, but he has not proven he can stay healthy, and so he hasn't justified that type of a paycheck. And so with it now being fully guaranteed for his fourth and fifth season by doing that, I see no way that the Seahawks are going to be picking up that fifth-year option. Felix tweets, biggest surprise for you as far as players who didn't get drafted, and why do you think some of these players didn't hear their names called? It, really, the pre-draft process, not having a combine, how messed up scouting was compared to normal, I knew that there were going to be more players with draftable grades that maybe slipped through the gaps, but there were certainly a few that I could not believe were not drafted, and one of them got signed by the Seahawks, Kate Johnson. I cannot believe. I had a fourth-round grade on him. He was so impressive in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, such a crafty route runner. He's a red zone weapon. This guy had 29 touchdowns. I do not care if it was against FCS competition. He had 29 touchdowns in three years for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. And so this guy knows how to get in the end zone. He knows how to get open. Didn't have the greatest pro day, a 4-5-140, which, quite frankly, that's acceptable to me. This is a guy that's going to win – 
with separation as a route runner. He doesn't have to have blazing speed, and he has more than enough quickness to get open too. So I could not believe that he was not picked. He was the best player available on a lot of draft boards for like four rounds and never heard his name called. So again, that's a huge pickup for the Seahawks, getting him, adding him to their receiver stable. I think he's got a really good chance to compete for a spot in the 53. As far as non-Seahawks, Darius Stills not getting picked, big defensive tackle out of West Virginia. There were a number of DTs in this draft class that I saw drafted yesterday in the in the third, uh, fourth through seventh round on day three that I just could not believe were getting picked over him. And I saw on Twitter that he was mentioning, I'm better than a lot of these defensive tackles. For my film study, I would agree. He's landed with the Las Vegas Raiders. I think they got a steal there with an undrafted free agent signing. And Trill Williams, who I had seen mocked in, in, in some drafts going to the Seahawks in round two, did not get drafted, and the Saints signed him. Again, another player that I think has a chance to be an impact player quickly. Another one that I just cannot believe was not drafted. I thought third, fourth round was probably his floor. I thought he had a chance to get picked in the second round maybe, and didn't happen. So there were certainly some big surprises. I just think the pre-draft process, and there's certainly some players that maybe I think are better than what NFL teams do. We see that all the time as well, but those would be the biggest surprises for me. Bethany tweets, favorite draft this weekend and any that you didn't like. So I'm going to surprise some people. My favorite draft in the entire league, the Chicago Bears are a close second just because the Justin Fields pick. I, I, I It was brilliant moving up to number 11 and getting him, getting your franchise quarterback, the number two quarterback on my board falling to number 11. But I got to go with, in, in terms of full class, the Detroit Lions, what a draft they had. You get Panay Suell out of Oregon who's got the potential to be an all-pro tackle to protect Jared Goff. Then they go out and they get Amonra St. Brown out of USC. They got Mukuamu, or not Mukuamu, they got um, Melifanwu out of Syracuse, and he's going to be potentially your second starter playing across from their first-round pick a year ago. Uh, so they, they've got some really good players. And Derek Barnes, they drafted late for Purdue, was one of my sleepers in this draft class, can play end, he can play linebacker. Had seven and a half sacks one of his one of his seasons with the Boilermakers. So I thought Detroit from top to bottom had the best draft class in this year's group. And so we'll see what happens with those players on the field. But I think Dan Campbell should be really fired up about the talent that he brought in from rounds one through seven. Worst draft to me goes to the Houston Texans. It stinks they have to pick a quarterback because of Deshaun Watson's situation. And then trading up to get Nico Collins. I don't know that I would have traded up to pick any receiver in this draft class unless it was somebody like Jamar Chase early in the first round because there was so much depth and so much talent to position. And I'm not that high on Nico Collins. So moving up for him in the third round did make a lot of sense to me. I thought that Brevin Jordan was kind of an interesting pick because I don't know about him as an NFL tight end after his pro day. I've got questions about his ability to separate. I just didn't think it was a good draft class. They already didn't have many picks. So to me, the Texans laid a bit of an egg in this draft. Nick McDonald tweets, dude from Canada, is he a real threat to start at center over Ethan Posick? So we're talking about Pierre Olivier Lestage, who's coming from the University of Montreal. I didn't know much about him until... Watched a little bit of film yesterday, did a little reading on him. Coming from north of the border, didn't know a lot about him. But I'll tell you what, against his competition up there, 
he was making a lot of pancakes. And this is a physical player. Looks like he's got a mean streak. He had a Shrine game invite two years ago. So he was one of those players that was really hurt by not being able to play at all in 2020 from COVID-19. This is a guy that I think probably has a chance to get drafted because of his standing, being a Shrine game invite, being a player that certainly was on some team's radar. So he's got good size. Looks like he's got a mean streak. There's going to be a huge jump in competition. I don't see him pushing Posick right now, but maybe that's a player you can develop for a year or two, and he ends up being a guy that can compete for a starting spot at center. Certainly has some intriguing traits as one of their top undrafted free agents. Manuel Nadein tweets, Will the influx of receiver talent this weekend mark the end for John Ursua, Penny Hart, and the rest of the back-end receivers currently on the roster? So I'm not going to say that it marks the end. we got to see what these guys do on the field. If I had to make a prediction right now, though, I think John Ursua is the receiver from that group that is hurt the most because, again, he isn't an impact player on special teams. I think that's why Penny Hart got the roster spot over him a year ago. He just doesn't do enough away from being a slot receiver as the back and depth chart kind of guy at that position. Penny Hart could do that. Kate Johnson, I believe, can do that. I don't know if Terry can do that, but certainly the additions that they have made, and everybody knows that Eskridge can play special teams. He's fantastic as a returner. And Pete Carroll mentioned he could play gunner too. He's played cornerback at the college level. So the players they have added, they're going to make life really tough on Ursua. Hart's going to be battling, trying to get one of those last spots. Freddie Swain's going to be ahead of those guys. So I do think the back-end players, their chances of making the team are significantly lower with the additions that were made in this draft and post-draft. Nonetheless, I think we got to see what the competition looks like on the field. Ursua is the player that I believe is hurt the most by the additions that were made this weekend. Arun Garanathan tweets, do you think the Seahawks will add a veteran center in free agency? I'm going to say never say never, but I don't see it happening. There's limited cap space. The Seahawks will add a few more free agents post the draft. It's going to happen, but I don't know it's going to be any big names. There are a couple centers out there with experience that could make sense. But again, I think that they gave quite a vote of confidence for Ethan Posick by not drafting his center this weekend. And Pete Carroll was raving about him in their pre-draft press conference. So that kind of made me think a little bit. Maybe maybe they don't think that's as big of a need as everyone else does. And so I do think that they're ready to move forward with Posick. Maybe they'll have a player like Kyle Fuller come in and still compete against him. I know the Seahawks are high on him. And maybe Lestage comes in and surprises. I mean, they've got a few other bodies there. But at this point, I think it's Ethan Posick's job and I don't see them making any other big splashes at this point. Marcus tweets, do you think the Seahawks put too much stock in the Senior Bowl, or at least the players Jim Nagy loves, since he used to be a scout for them? I I, I don't agree with that assessment. Do, do I think that they care about Jim Nagy's evaluation of players? Absolutely, because he was a key part of those drafts that they had. Uh, early in the Schneider-Carroll era where they got some of those really good players like Richard Sherman, K.J. Wright, Cam Chancellor, players like that. Jim Nagy was on their scouting staff at that point. So obviously they have great respect for him. I think he does a fantastic job with the Senior Bowl, and they've always valued that week. This year it was going to be heightened even more, not having a combine and having pro days scattered all over the country. That Senior Bowl week was a big one. And so I'm not surprised that, again, two of the three picks that they made 
were players that were standouts in Mobile. That's normal, and I don't think that they're relying too much on Jim Nagy. I, I expect that that's a, that's a person that they just believe his evaluations are certainly important, and I think there are other factors at play here too. They love the Senior Bowl in general. They like to see top players compete against other top players, and the Senior Bowl provides that opportunity. So I don't think it's created. Maybe there's been a few reaches that have been created by the senior bowl, but I don't see this being a big issue. Last question here from Andrew John sharp tweets. What are the most open competitions heading into camp outside corner takes number one, as I mentioned earlier with all the bodies, got some really exciting young players. You've got some tall lengthy corners, some, some shorter uh, corners that have short arms, but they're quick play physical coverage. They've got a little bit of everything. You've got veterans, you got young guys, Maybe Richard Sherman gets added to that mix. I mean, it's going to be a fun group to watch. There's no question about it. So I think that competition is going to be fun. The battle for the swing tackle job between Cedric Abwehi and sixth-round pick Stone Forsythe is going to be fun. That's going to be a good battle to see. The backup guard positions certainly are going to be fun. And then on the defensive side of the ball, just all the bodies they've had on the defensive line trying to figure out the pecking order. Are they going to have K.J. Wright coming back, or is Daryl Taylor going to be playing Sam Linebacker? There are so many questions about how they're going to be plugging in some of these guys, but it's going to make it a lot of fun battling for those reps and figuring out who's going to be a starter, which players are going to be second line, things of that nature. But I would say number one, two, and three is that outside cornerback spot. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to follow Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang for our Monday episode, and we'll start tackling this 2021 draft class and maybe start looking at a few of the undrafted free agent signings who are going to be especially important for the Seahawks this year. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday night. Go Hawks!